Hi, my name is Justin Guest. I'm a doctoral student in the uh, Department of Government here at the London School of Economics and Political Science. With us today in the Government Department hot seat is uh, Professor Patrick Dunleavy. He's a specialist in British politics and public policy here in the Government Department. Professor Dunleavy, is it possible for a three-time winner like Tony Blair to have a negative uh, domestic legacy? Who, Tony Blair, as a three-time winner? Yes, it's possible. And um, I think the problem about Tony Blair is he's, he's, he's a sort of split character. You know, first term, much of the second term, great, great achievements, unprecedented. And then a really, you know, tremendous policy fiasco. So it's a combination of the two. And since the policy fiasco is still going, I think that's the bit that's dominant. But if we can bail out of Iraq and possibly out of Afghanistan as well, maybe people will think better of Tony Blair then. Do you believe Britain blames Blair more than they blame New Labour for the lingering war in Iraq? It's certainly a good idea for a party that wants to get out of being blamed for something to switch its leader because, you know, the new person can come in and, and can just look different and can... Obviously, they have to liquidate previous commitments, so that doesn't mean you can bail out of Iraq overnight. But I think it's just much easier in any firm, in any organization to, you know, if something's gone wrong in a major way, switch the leader, the new team can, you know, take a fresh look without being bound up with defending everything that was done. Well, in that case, then, could Blair's role as a fall guy reinvigorate Labour as exonerated? I think the evidence so far is that the Labour Party is in a pretty dire way. Uh, only about half the members uh, voted in the deputy leader election announced yesterday. And that's perhaps because only half the members are still there. Um, <laughs> that's my interpretation. Uh, so I think Labour's got a lot to do, but it's had some good signs already that a switch of leader is having effects, positive effects with voters. So what aspects of Blair's presidential leadership style do you believe will endure uh, with the administration of Gordon Brown? I think Gordon Brown is pretty much the same as Tony Blair in terms of where he come from and all the experiences he's been through. They both ran this very tight uh, rebuttal operation under John Major when they were very successful and they both uh, developed uh, you know spin and control uh, orientations. I think the difference between them is that Tony Blair was always ready to go in front of the cameras and sort of bear his human soul and Gordon Brown was always very 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 uh, recessive and always stood back and always had people briefing for him and never ever you know, uh, directly took the blame for anything that, that's gone wrong and so on. So uh, he's going to have to change as, uh, uh, as as Prime Minister, but I still expect him to do things very differently. So I don't expect him to be actually very much, you know, briefing and, and so on. I think he may actually try and... I, I think he may think that the whole thing's got a bit excessive and try to cut down to a more sort of restrained, usual business kind of leader role. Whether he can do that under the pressure of, you know, issues and events and things going wrong, whether he can maintain that, I don't know. But um, that's definitely what his temperament is. Okay, well, given Gordon Brown's domestic policy continuity, do you think America will feel the effects of Blair's departure more than the British? I, I don't know. I mean, uh, things have changed in America a lot on uh, uh, attitudes to Tony Blair. You know, uh, people used to say he's, he's a great prime minister, he's very popular, he can be president of Europe, he can run the UN. Then Iraq happened after a while, so everybody said, okay, strike UN and Europe off that list. But he can still do great things in America. 
But, you know, the tide of opinion in America has swung so far against the war, and, and the scale of the problems, I think, have become so large-scale that it's going to be tricky, I think, for any anybody associated with that whole episode. Um, so, will Gordon Brown change Britain's policy towards the US? No, I don't think so. He's very uh, mid-Atlantic in his orientations, always has been, always will be, always takes his holidays in the US, knows lots of folks on the Democrat side and the Republican side. And, um, you know, it, it's very, geopolitically, it's very difficult for Britain to do anything else. But I think he will want to bail out of Iraq, uh, I would think, by early 2008 at the latest. And British troops are just sitting there being shot at rather pointlessly. Whether he'll do anything about Afghanistan, well, we're running a kind of weird foreign legion operation where our people are sitting in little mud forts and people are firing mortars at them completely pointless as far as I can see um, is another issue but uh, I think he he will not want these whole things to carry on he'll definitely not want Britain to be in the sort of front line of a, what looks like a sort of anti-Islamic movement for external and domestic reasons so getting those two things changed is going to be really tricky well, sticking with geopolitics, uh, do you believe that Tony Blair's has brought the United Kingdom closer to Europe? How has he changed relationships uh, with the continent? Blair is interesting because he's a very convinced European, I think. And one of the things that uh, a lot of people haven't noticed is that if you look at the UK now and compare it with 1997, one of the big differences is this, that Britain is much more a standard European liberal democracy. It's got, you know, a written constitution, sort of. Maybe Gordon Brown will do more on that. It's got PR elections. Maybe he'll do more on that. It's almost got a bicameral legislature. Um, it's got a Supreme Court. It's got a Human Rights Act. It's got a Freedom of Information Act. It's got decentralized governments with their own autonomy. None of that was there before. Blair has also moved Britain towards Europe in terms of education and healthcare in a tremendous way and, and pretty much Europeanized the whole. Uh, context of internal debate in Britain. But at the same time, he's been a failure in terms of really, you know, getting into the inner heart of the EU. He hasn't really cracked the Franco-German dominance of the, of the EU decision-making. He's never been able to make the commitment to the Euro uh, and so on. So he's always been a little bit still you know, doing a John Major kind of write me out of this one uh, at conferences, which also means that you're not really a dynamic player in what the EU is doing. Sticking with foreign policy, has Blair's experimentation with humanitarian intervention in the Balkans, Sierra Leone, and perhaps even Iraq, do you think uh, those have failed? I think the problem about the liberal interventionist doctrine that Blair um, enunciated is that you have to, you know, well, first of all, you have to show you can do it in a way that works. So something like Sierra Leone, where you go in at a key point, you're mainly supporting a kind of UN force that gets a little spineless or a little bit, you know, in problems. You don't stay for very long, and it's pretty decisive when you do it, uh, and then it sticks after you've done it. That's great. And... Tony Blair's absolutely right to say that um, in the past, our failure to do these kind of interventions at certain points in time has been catastrophic. And the Rwanda, the failure by President Clinton, especially to do anything about Rwanda in 1994, 
when 800,000 to a million people got killed in a, a relatively short space of time, and there was no UN involvement. I think that that is, you know, a very big thing that needs to be, you know, you need to be sure it doesn't happen again. And, and Blair was also very good on Kosovo and, and, and so on, and very agitated that Britain let things happen in Bosnia, um, which shouldn't have happened. So I think the, the problem has been that, you know, it's always very tricky. If it's a very large-scale thing, it may not be feasible to do that. You just have to say that. So I think a liberal interventionist has to be, you know, radical realpolitik guys, and that's what absolutely collapsed really in, in the Iraq case, and I think is being denied still in the Afghanistan case. We don't have enough troops in there. We're never going to have enough troops in there. We're never going to make the commitment. We might as well negotiate the Taliban some sort of, you know, terms of agreement. I think that would be more sensible than to try and persist. Do you think Britain has lost faith in the promise of such foreign policy tactics? I think it's going to be incredibly difficult in the future for a British Prime Minister to do liberal interventionist things. I mean, the legacy of Iraq, and even more, you know, the legacy of Afghanistan, where the, the British Defence Minister said, our troops, if our troops, you know, go there after three years of left without even firing a shot, I'll be very happy. Well, we've, we've lost, you know, 50 people in Afghanistan in just a few months. So nobody's going to believe that it's going to be cheap to do. Um, and I think it's it's actually you can see it already in Darfur that there's a there's a post-Iraq legacy which is very um, detrimental. I mean, again, I think Darfur you probably could do more, but you can't get the international community or British public opinion to even contemplate it. Well, speaking of public opinion, has Blair stolen the Tories' thunder on key issues? Do you think that Brown can be as successful as Blair at stealing the th uh, the centre? I think that what Blair did, as I said, is change the whole tone of British politics internally. Um, so that, you know, I mean, it's not all that long ago we were fighting ideology wars in, you know, under Thatcher and Major, and uh, there were big debates about what the scope of the public sector is. Now you've only got to look at what the Tories are promising, and they're, they're promising to sort of defend the NHS and state education and, and so on. So I think the terms of debate were changed radically by Blair and his, his ability to win those, those victories. I think uh, Gordon Brown's economic policies were a big part of that. Um, can Gordon Brown take things a little bit further and really you know, make that stick and, and so on? Well, I think um, he's, got to, he's got to convince voters that uh, it's possible. I mean, I certainly think the whole Europeanization, you know, what's, de what's a decent standard of health care, what can you expect, um, how, how's the public sector to be organized, there's a lot of scope there for pushing things along. Um, Gordon Brown's not very good on green issues, there's a lot of scope for doing things differently there. And, you know, the Tories have got some good centrist repositioning done, um, so they're a much more competitive a competitive party than they have been under Tony Blair. They, they sort of gifted him by appointing people that nobody had ever heard of as leader and so on. So I don't think he's going to have that gift. But uh, I already think that um, things like offering liberal Democrats and non-aligned people positions in your government, it's a very shrewd move, very shrewd. Wrong foot to them when they refuse, wrong foot to the Tories because then they look as if they're being more partisan than Labour. Makes Gordon Brown look 
you know, moderate and so on. So I, I think he's got quite a lot of stuff there that he can do. And the Constitution is going to be the big battleground, I'd say, for the next two, two to three years. Well, Professor Dunleavy, thank you very much for your uh, keen insight today. Uh, we appreciate your time on the Government Department hot seat, and uh, hopefully next month we will have someone else in that seat. <laughs>